Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On today's show, we have... Lauren. And... Monique. And with us, of course, John. On today's episode, we'll be diving into the Nobel Prizes and discussing the winners of this year, the implications of some of the wins, and the history of Nobel Prizes and women and some of the underrepresentation. And now we launch into our Launchpad News segment. This week's City of Science is in Sweden, and this is where the Nobel Prize is awarded. Uh, the Nobel Prize has been awarded since 1901 and for five different categories, which include physics, chemistry, physiology or medicine, literature and peace. Though curiously, the Peace Prize is actually awarded in Oslo, not Stockholm, like the rest of the Nobel Prizes. That's just a curious fact of history. So what do people get for winning the Nobel Prize, Lauren? Well, Justin, each winner of the Nobel Prize receives a gold medal, a diploma, and a sum of money, which is, de- which is decided by the Nobel Foundation. So the Nobel Prizes are obviously viewed as the highest watermark or recognition that you can possibly receive in science, as well as economics, and medicine, and literature. Um, and they've been awarded this week, and there's been a lot of discussion in the media about that. So we're going to talk a bit about the Nobel Prizes and uh, some of the winners and recipients, but also some curious facts and some interesting insights as to the implications of the Nobel Prize and what it means uh, for various fields. So, Justin, I reckon I'm a pretty swell person. I've done a lot in my life, possibly even enough to warrant a Nobel Prize. Do you think I have what it takes to get a 2013 Nobel Prize? Unfortunately, you're a little bit late, Lauren. They were awarded during the week. I mean, the one for economics is still open, but it's, I think it's pretty much decided by now. So close. But uh, the winners for this year in various categories, we're going to run through now really quickly and, and give you a brief overview of what they did to win the Nobel Prize. And Lauren's going to kick it off by talking about the Nobel Prize in physiology or medicine. So the 2013 Nobel Prize for physiology or medicine was jointly awarded to James E. Rothman, Randy W. Sheckman and Thomas C. Sudoff for their discoveries of machinery regulating vesicle tra- traffic, a major transport system in our cells. So what does that exactly mean, Lauren? I, I understand the fact that there's stuff that happens with cells, but what does transport system mean? Do they have buses and trains in there? Sort of. Um, you can think of this transport system as kind of like importing and exporting from a factory. So your cell is pretty much like a factory that's constantly manufacturing stuff and working to keep you alive. And to do that, you need constant, you need a constant inflow of molecules to help that factory going, as well as sending out molecules and different like waste products. Mm. So instead of just having a whole inflow of uh, molecules or just constantly losing all their molecules, this, um, this importing and exporting needs to be regulated. And what these three scientists have figured out, they've discovered some of the principles behind how this transport has been regulated. Randy Sheckman has actually discovered that there's a set of genes that are required to govern this vesicle traffic. Rothman has actually, Rothman has actually looked at the machinery behind the vesicles fusing with the cell wall. So the vesicles are kind of like um, the buses, I guess, for all your molecules. So how they fuse with the cell wall that lets all their... Tra- all their cargo be infused into the cell. And Sudoff has actually revealed the signals behind the releasing of these vesicles into the cell 
and making sure that's done with precision. Because if that if this precision and um, timing isn't correct, then there could there can be a whole bunch of medical issues associated with this. Cool. That, that that's really interesting. I mean, it's really funny that it took us a really long time to understand the full impact of all of this. Um, but it's really good that we have a really definitive and understood proof now of this what seems like a basic mechanism of our cells. So that's the Nobel Prize for Physiology and Medicine. Um, now let's look at the Nobel Prize in Chemistry. You know, well, chemistry was awarded to three people, uh, Martin Kirkos, Michael Levitt, and Ari Washell for their work in chemistry and taking it into cyberspace. So what, what, what did they do to actually uh, take chemistry into cyberspace? Well, Justin, they managed to create models on the computer of how chemistry works, like the reactions. And what this means is that we can model a reaction without actually having to do it in a lab. So I imagine that to do that, they would have had to get a really detailed models of how molecules and atoms interact with each other. What? When did they perform this research? Because this seems like something that would have been pretty obvious that nowadays when we use computers for everything. It was first developed in the 1970s. It must have taken a lot of hard work then if the computers weren't as complex as they are today. Did you remember back in the day, this is when computers were programmed with no, no real screens. Um, all output was onto printed paper and all input was uh, via punch cards to program them. So we're talking uh, really high levels of sophistication here. So it's very impressive that they actually managed to make programs to model all these uh, atomic reactions. So this uh, technology allows us to screen experimental compounds for drugs that we can use um, for medicine, which is very useful because it means we um, drugs are very complicated reactions that they might have in our body are also very complicated and so be very difficult to do that in a lab. Um, and so because we can do it on a computer, it makes it a lot easier to predict the behavior of these proteins. This sounds like a great um, breakthrough drug research and pharmaceutical companies. It certainly is, Lauren. Okay, so that, that's the, uh, the Nobel Prize in chemistry. Um, now let's turn to away from the world of uh, chemical reactions computers and come back a bit to the world of uh, the written word. The Nobel Prize for Literature this year was given to a very masterful and talented writer who's been producing plays and short stories for years now, Alice Munro. Um, she's an 81-year-old uh, writer from Canada. The Nobel Prize, obviously, in literature is much more subjective than it is in science. Um, another one that's very subjective is, of course, the Nobel Prize for Peace. Now, this has been awarded to so the Organisation for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, or the OPCW, uh, has been working quite extensively to get rid of chemical weapons and to stop their spread in the world and save lives. Finally, of course, probably the one you are all familiar with um, will be the Nobel Prize in Physics for 2013, which went to Francois Engelert and Peter W. Higgs for their discovery of a mechanism that helps us understand how some atomic particle works. And for the predictions uh, for the fundamental particle, which was confirmed by the experiments at CERN, otherwise known as the uh, discovery of the Higgs boson. So, of course, this has been rumoured for quite some time. And since the, since the work at the uh, LHC has been going on for a year or two, we've, we've expected this. These guys have already won a couple of awards already. Uh, so it wasn't really out of the blue. But what was out of the blue was who did not win a Nobel Prize for this award? 
Obviously, Engelbert and Higgs contributed a lot of work to this field, and it's really great that they got the recognition that they deserved for it. However, there's another man who was is named on who is named in other awards for the Higgs boson, who did not receive a call from the Nobel Prize Committee. Um, Carl Richard Hagen uh, was one of the other researchers who was really involved in the development of the ideas uh, of the, the Higgs boson and also was involved in setting up the testing for it. There's actually about six scientists overall who have been really involved in the quest and the search for the Higgs boson from the development of the theory to the full-on testing and discovery of it. Did now, these other scientists get recognised in the other prizes? Yes, yeah, so all of these scientists have been recognised in so, the, the prizes, such as the prizes from the American Physics Society and a bunch of other researchers. In fact, some of them are even in the name of the theory that uh, is used to uh, to reference this. Their names appear in those papers and in the, the names of the theories, but they did not receive the gong for the Nobel Prize. And one of this is one of the reasons for this is that the Nobel Prize has a rule of three effectively, which means that uh, no, no Nobel Prize can be awarded to more than three um, participants or researchers. So in this case, since there were six real people who could be attributed to, um, obviously not all of them could get it. And so they made the call to give it to the principal two, which is Higgs and Engelert. So that's an interesting little fact about the uh, Nobel Prizes and the Nobel Prize in Physics. Well, after looking at the Nobel Prize in Physics, it raises the interesting question. Is it better to come up with the fantastic theory that explains how everything works or to then figure out how on earth you prove it? And what the Nobel Prize itself has determined is that the person who came up with the idea is worthy of the recognition, whereas the technologists, engineers and scientists who devised the experiment performed the experiments and verified, such as those involved in the construction and design and running of the LHC, are not. Uh, and this is, I think, it raises an interesting point. Which one is the more valuable contribution, the idea itself or the proof of said idea? That seems a little unfair on the people who actually have to run the experiment. I mean, because a theory is great, but unless you know and can prove it actually exists, it's just a theory. It's just an idea. It's just a set of words put together on a piece of paper. That's exactly right. I mean, if you think about the Higgs idea has been around since the 60s and 70s, and it's only now that we've proven it. And I think that the people who put in the, all the effort to prove it clearly deserve some kind of recognition or reward for what they have done. Yes, they have the satisfaction of proving it, but that seems a bit hollow in the face of it all. So why is this specific to um, physics? Well, it's not really. If you think about it in chemistry, the idea could be relatively the same. The problem is that ideas in physics are often notorious to test. In biology, you can cut open something or run a test or design a vaccine and see what happens. Likewise, with chemistry, you, put, you mix a few things together and uh, you, do a, uh, you do some interesting things. Whereas physics often deals with questions that can run over millennia and happen on such large scales as light years. So when we talk about black holes, dark matter, antimatter, we're talking about fundamental things in the universe or when we talk about quarks, muons, Higgs bosons, we're talking about things that are really small and we can't really easily visualise. So they deal with such difficult questions that are literally out of this world. Uh, it is hard to replicate in a lab. So that's why theoretical physicists is a field completely almost separate to practical physicists who then have to figure out how to do all this stuff. So I think there may be some possibilities, especially as we get into nanotechnology and molecular chemistry, but we've got enough of a handle on it to be able to solve some of those questions. 
Do you think personally, Justin, that there should be such a big distinction between the ideas, for example, more theoretical physicists and practical physicists? Well, I feel that we should give equal recognition to those who deserve it. If, if we want to encourage the actual proof and the amazing ingenuity and creativity that goes into proving and verifying these ideas, we really need to find a way to recognise these achievements. Now, if this means a different prize for physics, then that might be it. Um, but we certainly need to think about encouraging um, the actual contributions to science that are made by proving something, not just by coming up with an idea. That may need to be separate. Hey, Lauren, I had some chocolate this morning. Do you think I could increase my chances of winning a Nobel Prize? It's actually funny you should ask that, Monique. Since last Thursday, there was actually a letter submitted to the journal, the famous journal Nature, about the possibility of eating more chocolate, increasing your chances of winning a Nobel Prize. The research behind this has to do with statistics of chocolate consumption with 23 male Nobel um, laureates who won the Nobel Prize in previous years. And there's actually some pretty interesting science behind why that seems why this there seems to be such a correlation between winning the Nobel Prize and high consumption of chocolate. Why would that be, Lauren? That would actually be because of an amazing key chemical called flavonoids, which actually has been shown has been shown to boost cognitive ability, so to help improve your memory and um, general brain function. It's also actually it appears in red wine. But it's, it occurs in chocolate, and statistics have shown that there's actually been an increase in chocolate eating with the male Nobel-winning laureates. However, if you eat too much chocolate, it's also been shown that that's not actually possibly going to help with their Nobel-winning abilities. What other connections to chocolate and the Nobel Prizes are there? Well, it turns out if you, if you actually show up to the big Nobel Prize-winning dinner, everyone who attends receives a gold, gold foil-covered chocolate replica of the Nobel Prize winners. And the people who don't win get to walk away with this um, chocolate fake rather than the real ones, which will hopefully help build, um, boost their cognitive abilities so that if they come back again next year, hopefully they'll win their own Nobel Prize. So in preparation for recording today's episode, I actually looked through um, past winners of the Nobel Prize and I came across a really startling statistic. This statistic is that only 44 women in total have actually been awarded the Nobel Prize between 1901 and 2013. And it was just such a shocking thing because then I looked even further doubt that um, most of these have actually not even been in the areas of science. So how many people have won in, in the areas of science? Well, between 1901 and 2013, only three women have won the Nobel Prize for physics, four for chemistry, and only nine for medicine. That, that's uh, really sad. I mean, when you, when you think about it, I mean, if you look at the details... Between 1964 and 2009, there were no women who won a Nobel Prize for chemistry. And no woman has won the Nobel Prize for physics since 1963. And that is, that is appalling. There have been several women in, through history who have, should have won Nobel Prizes for lots of very talented and important research that they've done. Can you name any specifically, Justin? Right. Probably one of the most famous is Rosalind Franklin, uh, the researcher from King's College in London who actually discovered DNA. And two other gentlemen in her lab stole her research slides, published it as their own work, and took the Nobel Prize. 
And unfortunately, she died before it came out. So the award for Nobel Prize for DNA did not go to her, despite the fact that all the research that proved it and came up with the idea was hers. And that is a true shame. So that's Rosalind Franklin. Xing Wu was actually very strongly involved in research for the beta decay. In 1957, Chen Ning Yang and Sung Dao Li won a Nobel Prize for their research into beta decay, which is a part of complex part of molecular physics. But Ching uh, Xing Wu, who actually was the researcher at Columbia University in the United States, did not receive any recognition for it. So that's in the that's in 57. Rosalind Franklin was in 62. Another fa- very very famous one was. Jocelyn Bell Burnell, who did not share in the Nobel Prize in 1974 for basically discovering pulsars. So pulsars are big pulses of radiation that occur out of stars in uh, space, and they're really beautiful and amazing intricate pieces of space stellar activity. She discovered them by doing all the research. She took all her findings to her doctoral supervisor. You know, she was studying for a PhD, and her doctoral advisor, Anthony Hewish, published it and received the Nobel Prize, and she received nothing. And that is even worse because it was literally all her work that was published, and she received nothing for it. And that's really quite a shame. And these are just some of the very high-profile and recent examples, but there are even more over there. Of course, this doesn't mean that all female um, scientists haven't been um, recognised for their works. There's, there's plenty of um, famous examples of women who have received the Nobel Prize for their great works. Isn't that true? That's right. So Marie, uh, Marie Curie has won twice, as well as her daughter, Irene, and Maria Meyer, uh, who basically discovered the way the atom works and the nuclear cell structure, also received a Nobel Prize. And these, these are very famous, very uh, accomplished women. But the fact that there has been no recognition of women since these paradigm paragons of the field in the 1900s and 1960s is quite alarming because there are very talented, very accomplished women who aren't receiving recognition that they deserve. And until we address that, it's going to be very hard to inspire women to be really engaged in science. If the top prize body doesn't recognize them with any awards, it's uh, very hard to feel like you might make a valid contribution. And it might might be one of the reasons why involvement of women in science is so low. Monique, you're a scientist, and I'm sure you, as well as I, would both like um, to see possibly more women um, winning Nobel Prizes in the future, just so we have some more amazing role models to look up to. And I really hope that that changes in the future. Me too. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. Today we've talked about the Nobel Prizes and uh, the various people who have awarded the Nobel Prize, how chocolate can improve your more likely to win your country a Nobel Prize, and the implications of the awarding a Nobel Prize for theoretical versus practical scientists, and the sad history of the Nobel Prize and underrepresentation of women. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia. <laughs>